Hey everybody, welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. My name is Ben Patterson. We are super excited that you are joining us today for season three, episode 15 of Practice Makes Faithful. Diving into a new series today, and it's going to be a good time. We are joined, by, as always, by Paul Hugobart. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, Ben, that you said we're diving into... Yeah, a new series. I kind of think about, you know, those warnings that we see on the side of the swimming pools in the summertime, you know, don't dive into the shallow end. Well, we're definitely going into the deep end. Yeah, we are. <laughs> for the next three uh, weeks, in a uh, sense. Uh, uh, and so, yes, we are diving in and we have checked the depth of the water and it is plenty deep and we'll be jumping in. So, uh, so yeah, no, I, I think, you know, just kind of foreshadowing the uh, the topic that we'll be walking through the next several weeks. But yeah, we're, we're, uh, uh, excited and you know it, it's a different kind of excitement I think to engage what yeah, we'll be talking yeah. about in the next three weeks so but yeah glad glad to be here and glad to be discussing yes because we are talking about gender sex sexuality yeah it is uh, it, it's, it's a big series it's a new series <laughs> called by design we're going to talking about uh, about these issues that are so important for us yeah. as followers of Jesus that are uh, so important for humans as we see that uh, sex is a really big deal in culture it has mm -hmm. made this huge deal there's a lot of messages from culture that we are getting about this and we need to know how to navigate as Christians yeah. so that's why we think this is super important to dive into Agreed. Um, with that, we'll give maybe the same disclaimer that we typically that we've given on Sunday mornings. We're going to be talking about some mature uh, conversations here. It's yeah. not going to be explicit or anything, right, but right, yes. it is a mature conversation. So if you typically listen to this with your kids, it may not be a great one for them to listen to. <laughs> right. So right. we'll just give you that same disclaimer. Uh, but with that in mind, Paul, tell us about this series by design. What is this? What are, what are we doing here? Yeah, well, and, and just to follow up on what you said, I agree this may not be um, something that you want to sit down with, your, or maybe you want to sit down with your kids and listen to this depending on the age that they are, but these are subjects we ought to be talking about our kids with, which is part of the reason that we're doing this series is to help adults process and think through these issues and questions surrounding sex, sexuality, and gender, mm -hmm. processing the biblical ideal, um, you know, the biblical intent as we did uh, this week, really, and we'll talk about that more. And then as we go through the series, um, really fleshing out the difficulty that we often have in living out the biblical intent because we live in a broken world. Mm -hmm. The struggle that we have, um, you know, engaging in the way our Creator hopes we will create has, or hopes we will engage and actually, um, you know, in, in places commands that, you know, we mm -hmm. ought to engage a certain way, um, you know, for good reason. And so, yeah, we, we um, you know, we began this conversation on Sunday and I think need to hear again by, by just establishing this as a kind of foundation that, um, you know, we're, we're talking, this conversation is one where we're primarily engaging with those who we believe are Christ followers mm -hmm. already. You know, so, so if you're listening to this podcast or for any of those who were, you know, with us on a Sunday morning, um, you know, we're not trying to preach at the world in a sense with what we're sharing. I mean, this is for the edification of Christ followers. And so we yes. can get our thinking straight as it relates to uh, the issue of, you know, sex, yeah. sexuality yeah. and gender. And so we're asking from a Christ-centered or biblically rooted point of view. We call that a worldview in the mm -hmm, first series mm -hmm. that we did this year in that series, Clay. Yep. You know, just saying that a Christ-centered or biblical worldview is one that's first and foremost rooted 
in the idea that scripture or in the belief that the Bible is the infallible word of God. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about what that means to be infallible, to believe that the word of God does not fail, that it's trustworthy, that when we read it, we can believe that we're engaging with the communication that God has for us. You know, so we're going to learn from God as we read scripture. That's the belief. Um, and then beyond that, that as we're learning for God, that it right then at that point in time, it is what lays the foundation for the way that we view reality as Christ followers. You know, so it, it frames our reality. It is our framework within which we then say, ask hard questions. How should we live? You know, so it takes us to the place where we're not just asking those questions internally of ourselves. We're turning around and we're asking those questions of God because we believe that is the source we need to go to. We believe God is the one we need to ask. And so, you know, I talked um, on Sunday morning, and I'll read this too real quick, you know, that um, if we are people who are embracing a Christ-centered or biblical worldview, what that will create in us is an awareness of the fact um, that, that, you know, or I'll just read the post, that we should never forget that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. <laughs> you know, so we recognize as we read scripture, we see clearly who we are and we see clearly who God is. Mm-hmm. And if we have that um, basically enmeshed within our foundational understanding about life, at that point in time, we say, okay, if God's ways are higher than my ways, God says, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so my thoughts are above yours. Then it moves us to the place where we have to ask these difficult questions of God. Okay, God, I know in my brokenness, I may be inclined to think a certain way or even to behave a certain way, but what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. What do you have to say about this? And so, you know, in that is this acknowledgement that we may not always understand the words of God as we read them in the Bible. And, and that... The understanding piece can be, I think, both an intellectual struggle to understand and it can be an emotional struggle to understand, right? So we may not always understand the words that we read in Scripture. Um, We don't understand them because they're difficult to understand or because they collide with something that is an emotional, internal emotional struggle for us. Mm -hmm. Or maybe uh, an emotional struggle at the level of the kind of the zeitgeist of culture, you know, the way culture is even emotionally embracing things. Mm Uh, is we have to acknowledge that uh, groupthink is a real thing. That um, you know, when something becomes popular, especially at the emotional level, many people will jump in and embrace it. Right. Yeah. So, so again, we may not always understand the words of God as we read them in the Bible, and we may even find ourselves tempted to disagree and argue with God on certain points. Right. So that's the acknowledgement. We may even disagree. We may even want to argue. We we may even want to say, God, why? Why is this this way? Even when we feel that way, we should still, as those who embrace a biblical Christ-centered worldview, be able to come back to the fact that we can trust that God knows and wants what's truly best for us. So in the midst of our disagreement, the reason this is important is when we disagree with God or when we find ourselves in tension with God has said something, asked something of us, it's plain, we see it. When we disagree with God, who wins? Right? In those moments, yeah. do we say, okay, because I trust you, even though I, I, don't, I don't see this, or I hear this message from the, the culture around me, um, I'm tempted to be caught up in the flow of culture. Maybe for a time I was caught up in the flow of culture concerning a particular issue. And in this specific case, 
questions about sex, sexuality, and gender. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we're hearing from a lot of people who have become caught up in the message of culture who are now being confronted with the Word of God. And the question for those people, and for us when that's us, is who wins? Mm -hmm. Does God win? Okay, so... You know, that's, uh, that's kind of the foundation for this series is, yeah, we're talking about these hard issues concerning sex, sexuality, and gender. But as Christians, we believe God has something to say about that. We believe that His Word is final in that, mm -hmm. that even when culture has a different message, we come back to the words of Scripture. That even when we're tempted to think differently ourselves, we come back to the words of Scripture and we submit ultimately to God saying, okay, God, what you want, even when it's difficult for me, when it pushes against what um, maybe feels right in me, God, I, I want to say ultimately yes to you. And so that's really kind of going to be the flow of this yeah. message series. So yesterday really just kind of framing, um, framing the, again, the ideal, the intent, then next week we're going to be engaging with this kind of panel discussion, um, engaging with uh, Dr. Cord Carlisle, who, uh, who's, uh, man, he really knows his stuff on, on yep. this issue. Uh, we've been able to meet with him on several occasions. I know you guys have, mm -hmm. and uh, the conversations have just been really rich. And so I'm looking forward to that. Yes. And then, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, with that, in conjunction with this event, yeah. at Grace Chapel, we're Correct. also... Uh, with this series, yes. I should say, we are having our youth retreat, yep. Spring XP, where we're going to be focusing on this same content. And yes. Dr. Carlisle is actually going to come and speak to our youth this yep. weekend. So yep. that's going to be really it's exciting as well. Be fantastic. And, you know, Rob, our discipleship minister who's on staff, who's also a counselor, um, is leading a group for two weeks, helping parents mm -hmm. talk through mm -hmm. some of these difficult conversations. And so a lot of things happening this week, the last week of the series, uh, which is the 30th of April uh, for us. And then the, the podcast will publish in the first week of May. Uh, we'll be looking at, you know, just acknowledging a lot of the brokenness that exists in the world around us and how embracing a biblical worldview, which gives us an understanding of that brokenness, especially from Romans 1, moves us to this place where we understand, yes, culture has, has degraded further and further away from the biblical ideal. And so what we have to wrestle with is what does faithful look, faithfulness look like in spite of our brokenness? So faithfulness and brokenness, those things are not mutually exclusive. In fact, it's bro our brokenness moves us to respond in faithfulness when we see who God is. And then beautiful things can happen out of that mm -hmm. still. Okay, so the, that's kind of a, a, just a snapshot um, of where we'll be going for the whole series. Yes, yeah, so with that framing in mind, where where'd you go for part one? Yeah, again, just really trying to lay out what is this, what is this biblical ideal? What did God lay out at the beginning? You know, and so we really connected with a number of scriptures from either Genesis 1 and 2, or, uh, you know, in one case, Jesus' reflection on, uh, on the same passages, basically, from both Genesis 1 and 2, to say, here is what God at creation intended for humanity. Okay, at the, at the creation of Adam and Eve, here's what he clearly intended for humanity. Um, and it's interesting that as you point that out in the positive, as you say, here's the ideal, here's the intent, yes, you start to immediately rub up against what is then not ideal. So if this is what God wants for us, then we start to see clearly all these things that exist outside of the bounds of 
what God wants for us. And it's interesting in the conversation with parents last night, as I was a part of that conversation that I just referenced that Rob was leading, you know, one of the things that we as parents were encouraged to do is to talk about the ideal over and over and over again because the message on this stuff is shifting so quickly from the culture around us that there's no way we can address every little issue. You know, as I, as I talked about yesterday, even you know, this idea that um, depending on who you go to on this subject, if you Google how many genders are there in 2023, you could come up with anywhere between 60 and, and I've seen up to 105 and some people tell me that they've seen where there are at times even more genders supposedly identified in that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and the intent in that, I, I get it, is to try to be sensitive to people who are trying to say, well, here's what I am or here's what I feel like I am. Um, but, but my point with that is um, not to poke fun at that or anything else, just to say, here's the reality but then to realize that we keep adding to that list. Yeah. And you yeah. know that the, the adding to that creates additional confusion as we go. And so can we ever anticipate all the changes that are upcoming or all the way that the cultural winds are gonna to continue to blow and you know, ties ebb and flow, whatever yep. Yep. Uh, language works for you in that? No, we can't anticipate all that. So what do we need to do? speak over and over and over again to the biblical ideal and the Mm -hmm, biblical intent. mm -hmm. And so we looked at four things. We'll talk about those more as we go. Um, You know, four things that I think we can, uh, when we read scripture, we we can and probably should and almost have to acknowledge at creation, this was the intent. Mm -hmm. So in the garden, this was the intent. And certainly, yes, all sorts of brokenness has entered the world since the fall. But what was the intent and what was the ideal? And so, you know, that that was really kind of what we talked about to set the stage. I know we'll uh, flesh that out further as as we go through this conversation. So, yeah. So you made a statement towards the beginning of the message I thought was was helpful that I'd love us to flesh out a bit more in relating to our posture as we're approaching this topic. And you said that we are not seeking to battle culture, Mm. but 100% wanting to battle for people who are caught up in the unhealthy flow of culture. Would you help us understand this Mm. distinction of between these kind of two ideas of where we might see a a lot of people who are Christians who might be fully on the battling culture. Why, Why are we not there? And what is this other... Distinction. What are we doing? Yeah. So, um, kind of to frame this, or maybe on the back end of this, and I can't remember which which place it fell during the message was uh, a reconnection with a conversation that we had just in the previous month in our in our missions month. Is we talked about this idea that that God has a deep love for the people of the world, as evidenced John mm-hmm. three sixteen, John three sixteen uh, three seventeen, even saying that Jesus didn't condemn come into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him because of his deep, deep love for the world, his desire that no one would perish, that all would have everlasting life. Um, And that if God really, truly so loves the people of the world, then we ought to as well. We ought to so love the people of this world. Now, what is interesting to me, uh, and you can pick this up from listening to podcasts, reading articles, even reading some books, um, there are some communities that think very differently on sex, sexuality, and gender mm-hmm. than we do who believe 100% that Christians are against them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? And, and here, God is for them. God so loved the people of this world. You know, the reality is that God died for people in the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God died for those people. He sent his son. He gave his life. He sacrificed himself to redeem all people, no matter what type of brokenness they struggle with. And so <clears throat> for, for us to be seen, and here's the thing, we can't always, I want to acknowledge this, we could act as lovingly as possible, and there will be people who will still walk away concluding that we're against them. So that's yeah. not the only measure. Yeah. But, it, but if we're honest and self-reflective, we have to conclude that there are times where we have behaved in the church in a certain way that could leave people with no other conclusion, no other conclusion mm -hmm. than the conclusion that these people are against me. Mm -hmm. Right? These people despise me. These people hate me. These people don't want anything to do with me. In fact, oftentimes when people who have been part of that community get to where they know some Christians who treat them with love, they're almost shocked. And, and you, I mean, I've read books uh, of people who have come to, uh, come to a conversion, conversion conspirance, come, experience coming out of the LGBT community, LGBTQ community who talk about how surprised and shocked they are when they met some Christians who engaged at the level of love with them. And then when they felt that love, you know, Rosaria Butterfield is a great, um, a great example of that, who um, that was a Syracuse professor, was a, a lesbian practicing, um, you know, that, that was her lifestyle. That was also part of her identity. She was loved by a minister and his wife was invited to their home over and over again. And she wondered, why in the world do these people want anything to do with me? It's not what I know about Christians at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can go on YouTube and see her story. We probably don't have time to tell all that there, all that now, but you can find it in other places. Um, and her story is an incredible one mm -hmm. of life change that came about because she found out God loves me and so do Christians. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. if we are just seen as people who want to fight the culture war and we're constantly fighting against culture and we're constantly fighting against people who are caught up in the flow of culture, then people are never going to know what we ought to be making plain, that we are for them. Yeah. So yeah. we're fighting not against you. We're fighting for you. And the fact that we're fighting for you, you may you may not want that. Okay, fine. But it's what God wants of us, and it's what God wants for you. And so we're going to continue fighting for you, even if you don't feel that way, don't see it that way, don't desire it, because that's what love does. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think about, you know, in situations where I've seen parents who have children who've gone astray for a time or been wayward in the way that they've lived, rebellious, maybe even you would say, um, I have witnessed parents continue to fight for their kids even when their kids don't want it anymore mm -hmm. and have also witnessed the way that sometimes those kids come around and the stories they have to tell about my parents never gave up on me yeah well we want to be the kind of people who never give up on the people of the world around us because we serve a god who never gives up mm -hmm. on all of us i mean so many times god did not give up on me and still doesn't give up on me when you know if god wasn't fully for me he clearly would have given up on me but because god is not that kind of god as his ambassadors as his people we cannot be that kind of people we have to continue to engage and fight for 
the people who are mm -hmm. caught up in the unhealthy mm -hmm. flow of culture. And so I think there's a real distinction there in the way we engage, um, because because a lot of um, a lot of sects of evangelical Christianity are fighting against very clearly fighting against culture. You know whether it's as, as extreme as the Westboro Baptist Church and you know the the signs that they hold up sometimes at uh, funerals of of soldiers, which just seems like the strangest place to possibly protest. You know some of these things expressing their uh, the fact that they they despise and believe that God despises people who are part of the LGBTQ community, or whether it just be unkind things that we say or uh, even sometimes teach our children to think about people who who, yes, are living a lifestyle that reflects brokenness, um, but, but we need to be embodying and teaching our children and others that, man, God loves every broken person, no matter what the brokenness is that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, we fight for and not against. So I hope, I hope that's helpful and maybe does maybe detail or make that distinction plain. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I think that is. So let's get to these these four points yeah. that you dove into. Because in the message, you kind of like, you ask this question, if we were to just look at Scripture and see right. what can we conclude about yes. gender, sex, sexuality. Uh, and then you went into these four points about yeah. this is what, what we can conclude. So number <clears throat> one was this, is that God created humans, male and female, reflecting his image in unique and unique characteristics. Explain that, unpack that one for a bit for me, and uh, then we're going to talk a bit more about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, what we would quickly conclude um, is that if we look at these, you know, the scripture that details just Genesis 1, 27 through 28, you know, um, men and women both being created in the image of God. You know, we walk away from that with the understanding that men and women both uniquely reflect the image of God. And there's something about uh, the gendered male expression that uniquely reflects the image of God and something about the gendered female expression that uniquely reflects the image of God. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that <clears throat> in some ways we, we may be talking in, in generalities, but I think we're talking in overwhelming generalities, right? Mm -hmm. And certainly at creation, at the moment of creation, where everything was just as God intended for it to be, we have to conclude that this truth was 100% true, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. that, that God created humans, female and male, in, the image, in His image, reflecting His unique characteristics. And, and there are plenty of ways that we see in Scripture kind of that, that almost that maleness of God coming out. I mean, we mm -hmm. see this as sometimes as God as a, as a warrior, now, not all men see themselves as warriors, that's for sure. And, and certainly in our day and age, um, you know, being a warrior is a, yeah. is a pretty <laughs> unique thing, actually. But although if we go back to the 14th century, you know, probably just about every man was a warrior. You know, mm -hmm. you, you kind of had to be. That was what uh, life looked like. And, um, you know, but, but certainly uh, the, the characteristics of physical strength that often goes along with, you know, the, the male gender, male sex, um, you know, God is strong, and so, you know, I mean, we, there are different types of strength, obviously, mm -hmm. as well, that, uh, that we can think of, but when we look, again, in broad and, and fairly comprehensive gen generalities, we can see that, that there are 
in, there are aspects of God nature, God's nature that are imprinted upon men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a unique way. Um, and, and I think for, for reasons. I mean, mm-hmm. in, there, there's purpose and intent in that. Um, and, and we don't have to go too deeply into that conversation because that's the part that is often just kind of uh, understood and taken for granted. You know, God talks about himself as a father mm-hmm. often. You know, so we've seen that. I mean, we sing songs about God being a good father. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we, we know that piece of it. We, we see that, you know, in Scripture, God gets the, the male pronouns. And so it's not hard for us to, to make the, the, that connection between aspects of who God is that are uniquely represented and imaged in, in men. Mm-hmm. What we sometimes miss and don't acknowledge is the, the, the very, very distinct feminine imagery in the Bible related to the nature of God. Yeah, and so let's, <clears throat> let's talk about that. What is, what, what, what is that? I guess share some of those examples, because yeah. I think that is one that probably a lot of us are less familiar with. Yeah, so, so God calls himself a father in Scripture. God also, in a sense, calls himself a mother in Scripture, mm-hmm. talking about, uh, you know, saying, I, I embody these characteristics that you would think are very unique to, to what it means to be a woman, a female, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or especially a mother in a family, right? Um, and so, you know, God and Deuteronomy, yeah, go ahead. And maybe to, to be clear with that, is God does not have a gender, right? right. God is not a yeah. gendered being. So he can use yeah. both of those, uh, he can use both male and female imagery in describing yeah. himself because right. he's not a gendered being. Yes. Now, he has related yes. to humans. Jesus tells us to pray yeah. our Father, our right? Father so heaven. we are using this male imagery often yes. in relating to him, but he does relate to us through both because he is ultimately, he's a spiritual being right. that's outside of our gendered, like human form. Absolutely. Uh, he's so much bigger than that. And when creating humans to reflect him, he creates them in these two. Right. Distinct images. Is that is that a right? Yeah, way I, I think that's that right. Out? I think I think a way of saying that is that neither gender, in any way, sense, or form, completely reflects hmm. the nature yeah, of yeah. God. But both genders uniquely reflect the nature of God. That's good. Yeah. And so, good. Um, you know, so I like that. A lot. Let's let's look at some of these. Um, yeah, I wish I would have said that better yeah. in, the, in the message. <laughs> it probably would have. Uh, you know, so that's that's what comes out in good conversation. So neither gender completely yeah, reflects neither. the image of God, but each gender uniquely, uniquely reflects. reflects the image that's of good. God. The image like the nature of God. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, you know, so so just a few of these passages that really bring out this uh, this reality about God, um, the the mothering nature of God, the mm-hmm. compassion, love that is very much identified with. Uh, often the female gender, and has mm-hmm. historically been so anyway. You mm-hmm. know, Deuteronomy 32, 18, uh, God describes himself as giving birth to the Israelite nation. You know, he says, you forgot who gave birth to you. You forgot mm-hmm. the God who gave birth to you. Um, I mean, that's very, uh, very distinct language because mm-hmm. um, at least for the time being, you know, until science does something that will be... Uh, um, will be absolutely bizarre, um, and, and it may happen. Um, women give birth, men don't, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, Isaiah 49, 15 speaks of God having the compassion of a mother for her nursing child. So can, can a mother forget the baby at her breast, Isaiah says, and have no compassion on the child she has born? Again, the, uh, the birthing imagery, uh, the mother nursing her baby. God says, though she may forget you, I will not forget you. So using that very tender imagery um, mm-hmm. of, of a mother caring for a helpless child. Mm-hmm. Um, Hosea 11, 3 through 4, I, I love this passage because of the imagery that is so evident here. Um, God compares himself to a nurturing mother. He says, yes, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. You know, so like the imagery of this young child not being aware of, um, of what this mother is doing to nurture them back to health. Um, God goes on to say, I led them with cords of, kind, of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them, I love this right here, I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheek. I bent down and fed them. Um, uh, just so, so beautiful in, in that imagery. And God's saying, this is me, and this is the way I've cared for mm-hmm. Israel, or using mm-hmm. Ephraim as kind of a, uh, a more narrow term for, for the people of Israel, but saying, this is me. This is the way that I have loved and shown love. It's that tender imagery of a, of a mother picking up her child and lifting her child to her cheek. And, and that was mm-hmm. um, definitely in... Uh, in, in, the, in the antiquitous world, a sign of deep affection, the cheek-to-cheek affection. Um, it still is for us, you know, in, in our day and age. I think that would be a sign of tender affection to have an infant at your cheek yeah. in that way. And, and God's saying, that's me. Like a nurturing mother, mm-hmm. I'm doing that. And then Jesus, his words himself from Matthew 23, 37, comparing himself to a mother hen saying, well, Jerusalem, in spite of all the things you've done, killing the prophets, stoning those that were sent to you, I still have this deep longing to protect you, to nurture mm-hmm. you. He says, like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, I, I want to gather you together, my children, in a sense. And so, you know, when we look at those four scriptures, and there are others as well, and we just don't have time to walk through, you know, these numerous scriptures that, that do that, but there's this clear conveyance of this feminine imagery used to communicate God's love, compassion, his nurturing nature towards humanity. And again, as I said in the message, it's not that, that men don't love, that men don't yeah. have compassion, that men don't nurture, but you wouldn't use this imagery to describe the way that men have show love, show yeah. compassion and nurture. Yeah. You know, this is very, very much unique feminine imagery. And it's not to say that this is the only imagery you could use to, and that, that every woman needs to be a mother. This is, this is language though that is used that is very specifically gender connected and gender specific to describe the way that God loves. Yeah. Well, and similarly (coughs) to, um, I like how, so next week in our, uh, in our spring XP weekend, Mm -hmm. so one of the things that, uh, Corey Carlisle is going to speak with us about is about gender and how like we reflect God as gendered beings. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that he kind of teases this out of like some of these core aspects of being a man and of being a woman as he talks about this idea of men imaging God through this display of strength. Mm -hmm. And this is 
a spectrum of how that looks, right? Like, sure. let's get away from the rigid gender stereotypes yeah. and say that, oh, that strength means you have to be muscular and right. chopping wood. Like, no, you can be a scrawny accountant and be showing that sure. strength, right? Like, um, I don't in any way, I don't identify with a lot of that rigid gender maleness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't want to go chopping wood. Well, I mean, sometimes very I have American a display of strength. Imagery. Yes, yeah. 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 And then he talks about that as, women of that you can be uh that we that women image god through this idea of beauty and yeah. once again this is a spectrum of what does right. that look like yes. this doesn't mean american beauty culture of yes. uh, like being physically beautiful necessarily although that can be an yeah. aspect yeah. of it but it's also a internal state as well mm-hmm. so in that we could look at that we could see beauty in God throughout scripture. Much like we talked about seeing his strength throughout scripture, we see beauty, like the temple. Think of how God designs like this space and it is it is beautiful. Like when there's these divine encounters, like and so I I think there's this aspect of beauty in Mm -hmm. who God is as well. That we see women imaging him in and yep. it's not to say women can't be strong and men can't be beautiful. No, but it is just to right. say that these are kind of core aspects to yes. being this gendered being. So I say all that just yep. simply to say that we're not saying that only mothers, I think you already said that, image God in their right. femininity. Uh, no, no, no. Right. All, women all women image God. Yes. Just like for men, I'm not a father, but I can still see Mm -hmm. me imaging God in my masculinity. Absolutely, yeah. And I think you you bring out a good point. You know, the the way that I have recently been kind of almost tongue-in-cheek addressing this is to say that I'm afraid that sometimes in American culture, at least at a point, and maybe there's a shift happening, a healthy shift sometimes happening right now, but, but in... Uh, among the many unhealthy shifts, again, we need to acknowledge. <laughs> but, yep. um, but sometimes when we read this, um, you know, when we read Genesis 1, 28, you know, and we read that in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Somewhere in our minds, we have this picture of a high school quarterback and a high school cheerleader yeah. thinking, yeah. ah, there we go. So Adam was yeah. obviously born wearing a football helmet. And, you know, Eve was born wearing a, you know, cheerleading outfit, which mm-hmm. they were created wearing nothing um, in the garden. But, you know, we, we immediately go to this place where we've got this imagining of male and female that may be actually very different from um, maybe the ideal that God has in mind. Yes. You know, so again, God's ideal is not quarterback and cheerleader when he's thinking about male and female, although there may be characteristics about what it means to be male that makes men more likely to go be football players and mm-hmm. girls more likely to be cheerleaders. You know, that could be true, but, but if we have imagery like that in our minds when we read Genesis 1, it may be helpful to yeah. take a few steps back and say, okay, do I have any unhealthy cultural baggage that I am superimposing over mm-hmm. this male and female distinction. Well, and it's really <clears throat> easy for us. At the, I think at times for some people to think those are harmless gender stereotypes and pictures mm-hmm. and not really to think it's it's a big yes. deal. But I do think it is important. I've read many times in some Christian books on 
being a man, right, on masculinity, where it uses a lot of images for masculinity that are very stereotypical images yeah. that I don't feel that I identify with. I don't want to be this big, tough, muscular guy. Like, mm. that's just not what I uh, what I enjoy. Yes. I enjoy drinking a good latte and listening to Taylor Swift. There like, some things that culturally we might say, oh, those are more feminine. Yeah. That does not make me less of a man. Right. Those are things right. I'm interested in. I can still have strength. I can yes. still, like, so at times, these rigid gender stereotypes, I do think, can can hurt a robust Clearly. understanding of what it means to be Clearly. a man, to be a woman. Yeah, real quick, I, I've got this book sitting in front of me that I'll plug real quick, and we'll put this in the resources. This is this will be a resource among multiple others that we're going to share out yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as we go. But it's a book that Renew, who we connect with, just released called Male and Female. Um, you know, I, I had the honor of contributing a chapter to this book, but, but even just in the introduction, uh, Renee Sproles, who's the general editor for this kind of collected work, um, points out what we're talking about right now that we have to be careful about not confusing in her words, and she really nails this so clearly, we have to be careful not confusing cultural stereotypes mm. mm -hmm. with the biblical archetype. Mm -hmm. You know, the archetype okay. talking back about, yeah. you know, saying what, what, what were things really like in the beginning and what is the yeah. ideal? Yeah. What did God create? What were those actual distinctions as opposed to the stereotypes that yeah. we superimpose? So I think that's a great way of describing that. Again, would definitely like plug this, uh, this book, this resource. We'll link that, female. Male and Female by Renee <coughs> Sproles, or yep. edited by Renee yep. Sproles. Okay. That's right. Cool. Okay, <laughs> let's get to number two. We're going to run long today, Paul. Yeah, we're, this is a good we're one. working on it. All right, number two. Sex is a biological and anatomical distinction that distinguishes male and female. Yeah, so again, the words of Genesis uh, 1.27, very plain that, that God created two very distinct beings who were human. Okay, so the NIV still uses the language God created mankind. Um, some other translations will use God created humans or human beings in his own image. So there is this category that encompasses all of humanity, that encompasses two very different expressions of what it means to be human. They're very distinct from each other. They're both human. They're both created in the image of God, but there is a separateness mm -hmm. in the way they image God. Mm -hmm. And I believe that a portion of that is the reflection of this biological and anatomical yes. reality. A distinction of yeah. very differentness between men and women and one that can be seen all the way down to the cellular level and mm -hmm. Renee talks about this as well <clears throat> uh, in this book male and female you can find this information um, you know in a simple Google search you know tell me about human chromosomes well you know men are born with an XY chromosome in large part mm -hmm. um, and women are born with an XX chromosome chromosomal pattern and so uh, all the way down to uh, the, the individual cell, at the individual cellular level, in every human being, male or female, is that XY or XX imprint. Uh, I did acknowledge that you know there's this mm -hmm. uh, it's called Klinefelter syndrome, where um, where men can sometimes be born. It's a very small percentage with an, an additional X chromosome, but having that Y chromosome clearly still distinguishes 
those men as male. Um, it definitely creates some struggles. It reflects the fact that there's a lot of genetic um, dysfunction, and I don't use that in a pejorative in any way, just to say that a lot of things go wrong genetically, and we yeah. know that to be true. I mean, I, I have a sister who was born with a genetic handicap. Mm -hmm. Is that God's ideal? Clearly not. Yeah. Is it a reflection of the brokenness of this, of this world? Clearly so. And mm -hmm. so that's true. Again, many of us are born with mm -hmm. different types of brokennesses and struggles, some that will lead us maybe towards sin, some that clearly are sin neutral. Yeah. Um, but in the vast majority, and I mean vast, overwhelming majority of the population, men are born distinctly with the XY mm -hmm. chromosomal pattern and men are born with XX. That's at a very mm -hmm. basic level. Um, but that gendered expression, that biological, anatomical, or maybe we should say sexed expression is made very clear um, in the biology, in the anatomy of men and women. And, and I believe God did that. Yeah. <clears throat> that, I, I, think, I think you could hear that, and that could just sound really obvious yeah. to you, possibly. But I think this is really important because this is not the message we're getting from culture no, right now. No. Culture is saying, generally, we're speaking broad strokes here, right? But generally is that this is yes. more about your mental state and how you right. feel yes. about who you yes. are, right? And yeah. we're saying that no, 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 God created you in a way and it's regardless of how you feel. Now, right. there is a reality yeah. of some people who their feeling, their mental state, oh, where they're at, does not align with their body. And yes. that's a reality of brokenness in our world, right. of that, that that someone has to live in that. And let's have a lot of compassion, oh, deep compassion. for that person that, I mean, yes. I can't imagine living in that condition of yep. feeling that. But what we are saying is that when there is, I think, Preston Sprinkle, who we've taught, we've uh, we've referenced before, great yeah. great thinker on a lot of areas of Christian sexuality. He's got a book called Embodied, which yep. is talks a lot about the transgender question, mm -hmm. and he kind of says something along the lines of when there is a incongruence mm -hmm. with how someone feels mentally about their gender and what yes. their physical embodied gender is. Mm -hmm. The question is which one wins which out. Which one wins? That's right. Which Culture is currently saying it is your, how, how you feel. feel. That right. is what wins out. Yep. Scripturally, I think we would want to say it is how God designed you that wins out. Right. Um, <clears throat> it is your physical embodied state. Yep. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I try to be very clear in the message when making this point that we're addressing biology, that in this conversation, we're not yet to the point in that sense of addressing psychology, but what you're mm. talking about is a very real thing. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between biology and psychology. And sometimes, <clears throat> you know, people are very psychologically healthy. There's no confusion inside of them. Well, every one of us struggles with some level of confusion, whether it be about gender or just about what in the world is life about. You know, we, we all have difficulties that we struggle with at a psychological level uh, to some degree. But when we're talking about chromosomal patterns, we're just talking about biology, not talking about psychology yet. And yeah. that, uh, we'll definitely talk about that more okay. uh, in week three. <laughs> I might be jumping the gun. <clears throat> no, 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 it's okay. Um, it, it is, again, as, as I talked about, as we highlight the ideal, we start to expose and uncover what's not yeah. maybe God's ideal or God's intent. And, and again, to your point about this, um, 
you know, this may seem very basic. Maybe in some circles it does. What we have, the point we're making right now is highly controversial in yeah. some circles. Yeah. Uh, you know, in fact, the truth is that you and I could be labeled as, as hate-filled people, hate mongers, haters, mm -hmm. because we're speaking to something that scripture says mm -hmm. we're, we're haters, mm -hmm. as opposed to people who are trying to be true to our deeply rooted belief that God has created all human beings in his image. God has created us, God has created everyone. And we want to embody, we want to embrace a biblical and Christ-centered worldview mm -hmm. that says we look to God for our answers when we have difficult questions. In fact, even when we have things we think are easy questions, we still look to God because he's laid the foundation for our accounting of reality. Mm -hmm. And so, <clears throat> yeah, we're not, we're not trying to be hateful. We're trying to be loving. Yeah. We're trying to fight for people caught up in the yeah. unhealthy flow of culture. Um, but, but yes, even though this may sound basic to some, it is highly controversial to yeah. others. And so just acknowledge that, yes. That's good, that's helpful. <clears throat> okay, point number three. Yeah. Uh, biblical sexuality is designed to be expressed solely within the context of marriage between one man and one woman. Yeah, again, um, this point would be highly controversial mm -hmm. on a number of levels, you know. Um, you know, coming through the sexual revolution, um, Many partners, free sex, free love kind of thinking, um, you know, why be shackled and burdened with this obligation to only have sex with one person for your whole life? How in the world could that be healthy? Uh, why is not experimenting and having fun and being free spirits just a good thing? And so, I mean, we could be pushing in, you know, pushing against, uh, you know, what is, I think, uh, truly very central to an expression of second wave feminism. You know, first wave feminism was about suffrage, suffrage, right to vote. Um, highly support that. You know, I, it boggles my mind that there was a time when women couldn't vote, right? I mean, that's, that's wild to think about. Um, second wave feminism being much more kind of women's liberation movement, and I support some of that. Um, what gets really sticky and fuzzy is you know, that, that's, that sex should have no consequences whatsoever, you know, which is where, you know, birth control comes from and other things, you know, as well. And so let's make sex completely consequence-free so that you can have as many sexual partners as possible. <clears throat> so this conversation that biblical sexuality is designed to be expressed solely within the context of marriage between mm -hmm. one, or man, one man and one woman pushes not back just on the male-female expression of sex, or just on the maybe same-sex expression of sex, but also on the male-female promiscuous expression of sex. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, this is, this is very much pushing back against culture and impulse and how I feel and, and the fact that, you know, teenagers enter this phase of life where hormones are raging in their bodies and wanting to be expressed. And, you know, the biblical... Uh, the biblical mandate is to, to wait, to hang on, express that where it is designed to be expressed. You know, uh, many yeah. passages point to this, um, whether it be, you know, Genesis 2, uh, 22, 24, the one flesh conversation, um, you know, that, that's, you know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God is making us one, you know, the Genesis 2, 24, kind of the author of Genesis now saying that's why a man leaves his father and mother is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Um, 
you know, this idea that not just in the, the union of marriage, but what happens in the consummation of marriage, which is the physical sex act, there is a becoming of one flesh. And so the idea that when we have multiple partners on some level, we're becoming one flesh with loads of people. Yeah. Maybe not the whole aspect of it, but some aspects of mm -hmm. it for sure. Mm -hmm. And that can be seen even in uh, the acknowledgement um, at a scientific level that when a man has sex with a woman, woman has sex with a man, that there is a biological chemistry that a chemical exchange that happens that creates a bonding. And that's really good when that happens in marriage. Yeah, I mean, that's intended to happen in marriage. I think God did that on purpose. So sex is not just a way we procreate, but a way that a husband and wife are more deeply bound together mm -hmm. at a chemical level. And I think, um, you know, in that sex exists in a sense, <laughs> partially to create this one man, one woman bond. You might, yeah. you might be able to, uh, to pull out of that to a fair proof of marriage to some degree. You know, sex is there. God clearly did something, um, wired us a certain way to desire sex and when sex happens to create something very unique and special that exists, mm. is intended to exist only between a husband and wife. And so, you know, this one flesh conversation, I think, is pointing to that reality. Yeah, that's good. Uh, it takes me back to a quote you had earlier in this. I don't think we've pulled out yet okay. from Renee Sproul's that you said, uh, or where she says that yes. we live in a time where sex is both everything and nothing. <clears throat> and yeah. man, that, so I, that hits real hard. Because you see that in in our culture, we have yeah. we've made sex everything, right? You right. see that in you're watching a Hardee's ad for a hamburger, and like they're using sex to try to sell right. you this hamburger. All of life is about like, sex. We have made it everything, but then at the same time, it is it's nothing. That's what you're talking about. Right. It's like oh, it's just it. We're just having sex. It's just fun. It's just it's for free. pleasure. There's no consequence. There's really, yeah, yes. yeah, and. Boy, yeah, we have, uh, when I, I'm using we as a culture, American culture at large, has really uh, lost this, yeah. this unique sense of biblical yes. sexuality. Yes, 100%. You know, there, there's so many, so many good scientific studies that actually point out <laughs> how much more unhealthy we become mentally, emotionally, since the sexual revolution. And I think that actually accounts for some of that. Um, <clears throat> there are so many other things that came out of the sexual revolution that were tied just to postmodernity. We've talked about that several times. Do what you like, make your own truth, define your own meaning. You know, you create your own reality kind of thing. Just the fact that that, is, that, that can't be, that can't happen. Um, you know, we'll talk as we get into this fourth point uh, about some more of the consequences of mm -hmm. just this belief that that we can do whatever we want to do. It's it's you know it's my prerogative. Yeah. I can do what I want to do. I mean, it was a song out of the '80s. I can't remember who sang that, but it's reflecting like the cultural spirit, right? I can do whatever I want to do. It's my prerogative. Whatever I feel like, I can do. You can't tell me yeah. what I should do. Nobody can. God can't tell me if there is a God. He can't tell me what I should do. Yeah. 
You know, and so again, we've moved so far away from this trust that that our in our Creator that something significant exists in our design, mm-hmm. um, intent, purpose, uh, boundaries, and barriers that are created because of that for healthy expression. Things that exist out of the boundaries mm-hmm. of healthy expression. You know, even to where Jesus says, you know, about this one flesh nature in Matthew uh, nineteen six, he says. Because of this one flesh reality, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So God is actually making one flesh when marriage happens, when marriage is consummated, when you know people say I do to each other. God is actually doing something significant in that moment, which again goes so unacknowledged mm. in, in our culture. And we ought not to rush into marriage because... Marriage is intended to be a one-man-woman lifelong commitment. Now, I want to acknowledge things go sideways sometimes. Mm -hmm. And and God has made allowances. Um, But there can be no doubt about this idea that as it relates to sex, if we look at Scripture, there is one healthy place for that the expression of sexuality that way. Mm-hmm. Um, or for the engagement in the sex act that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is one healthy place for that. And everything else, not just LGBTQ expressions of that, we're talking about heterosexual yes. expressions of that yeah. all across the board. Yeah. God says that's out of bounds, yeah. right? So, yeah, I don't know if there's much more we can say about that. I think, yeah. I think that's where it is. Let's go to point four then. Marriage is intended to be a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Yeah, and we we were touching on that just a little bit already. Um, And so much wisdom in what God is communicating here. Because God could have created us differently. Mm -hmm. And he could have said, uh, sex is everything and nothing. He could have said, sex is nothing. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Sex is just for your pleasure. Go have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and while sex is for pleasure and fun, there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And for bonding a married couple together, there's no doubt about that. Um, sex is also how families are created. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you know, not everybody can have a family. Not everybody chooses. Not every married couple chooses to have a family. So I acknowledge that. But, but how are children created? It's through the sex act. Where, where is it most likely that healthy families, or, or from what environment is it most likely that healthy families will arise? It's in a lifelong committed marriage. Yeah. yeah. Out of which children are born in which no one separates that family and that married couple. That is where it is most likely that we set the stage for healthy family, um, healthy community, healthy civilization and culture. I mean, you know, I said that, and and many have said this and many push back against this nowadays, but I think it's true is that the, the family unit is the building block upon which all healthy societies are built. You know, if, if the family is in disarray, the society is in chaos. Mm-hmm. If the family is healthy, by and large, 
then society and culture will be healthy. Um, much lower prevalence, prevalence of mental health issues. You know, I, I, I talked about a, a study a little bit on Sunday morning, or at least a summary of multiple studies done by, um, uh, it's called GillespieShields.com. They just have brought together um, a number of studies really to try to, I think, point out the benefits of two-parent traditional families in that sense, right? Okay. You know, so they talk about, you know, in reality, and this has actually gotten better in the last several years, by the way, um, that, that 62% of all children are now growing up um, in, in, mar in married two-parent traditional families, right? Um, they talk about 26% of all children growing up in single-parent families, 15% remarried, 7% cohabiting. Um, there are so many different things that they point out about the effects of family structure on children. I'll just give a few of those real quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but in this, what, what I'm wanting to point to is, so these guys are looking at studies typically commissioned by not Christian groups. They're, they're trying to understand family and family structure and the effects that that has upon children. They're trying to understand that, not necessarily from, from a biblical perspective, just looking at, just doing research, right? Mm -hmm. What I want us to see is the wisdom of God in what he designed from square one, the foundation that he laid from square one. So, so listen to this. They, they make this point. They say a solid, intact family structure can have significantly positive impact on a child's present and future well-being and offers countless benefits for both adults and children. So here, here are a few examples. Children growing up in homes where two parents have been, who have been married continuously Okay, so it's talking about the same mom and dad from square one, are less likely to experience a wide range of problems at the academic, social, emotional, cognitive level, not only in childhood, but on later into adulthood as well. Okay, so benefits of two parent continuously married families, four children, exist in the academic level, at the social level, at the emotional level, at the cognitive level, mm -hmm. and set the stage for what a child will be like on into adulthood. Mm -hmm. Okay, so some of this is pretty obvious. Um, and some of this, there's a real debate, and I wanna acknowledge this, you know, the economic effects. Obviously, if there are mom and dad together in, in an intact family, uh, again, continuously married, intact family, that sets the stage for more economic stability. You know, if a single parent is having to do all this himself, herself, there's going to be a lot more wrestling. That child is probably going to receive a lot less attention from parent, more likely to be in daycare, childcare, other things like that. Uh, one parent, one income, um, having to pay for childcare at the same time. So obviously, um, it's not surprising that two-parent families, children have, have access to more of the economic and community resources, mm -hmm. right? Because parents are able to pool their time, their money, their energy, and children tend to be more the focus of their time, mm -hmm. is what Gillespie Shield says as well. You know, social, um, they're learning how men and women interact in a, in a hopefully healthy environment. Although there are studies that show, believe it or not, that children are better in a two-parent intact family, even when those parents don't necessarily have a healthy relationship than if those parents were to split. Children are better off growing up in an unhealthy family dynamic where mom and dad are together. Now, uh, sometimes those dynamics of dysfunction can go beyond the pale to where 
I acknowledge parents probably can no longer, like if, if there's a situation yeah. of abuse, okay, maybe that's where we've crossed a line yeah. and we say that's beyond just a regular unhealthy yeah. dynamic, that's now an abusive dynamic. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about a place where maybe parents fight and don't get along and maybe have fallen out of love with each other or whatever that happens to be, the parents are still, or the children are still mm-hmm. better off if those parents stay intact. And there's so much more research we could share about this, but you know we're already approaching about an hour long in this podcast. So we'll link this study and folks can dig into this more deeply. But yeah. again, just so, we see the wisdom of God on display in creation, even in the research that's done that, that validates that. I know we're running over, but I gotta address another yeah. an aspect of that. I can imagine this could be really hard to hear for uh, someone yeah. who, uh, has maybe they've had a divorce and they're a single single parent right now listening or to us, or even remarried in a or blended family, yeah. remarried or something has happened, um, and a lot of that there's going to be a lot of very individual yes. situations there that we we couldn't pretend to address all of that in the context yeah. of this podcast of specific things that uh, maybe require some individual pastoral counseling around in, yes. in some of those scenarios, but. Um, I think one thing I would say, and I wonder what you'd add mm-hmm. to this, is I, I think if you're if you're in that spot, then your call is to live faithfully yes. now. Yes. And you can't change what has happened in the That's past. Exactly right. Whether it's something that happened to you, or whether you'd acknowledge just results of yep. mistakes that you made. Yeah. That absolutely. Um, you can't change that now, and now your call is to live faithfully with where you are at. Yes right now and so i i wouldn't i wouldn't look at that as like oh you're you're condemned all that no, it's going to be no, a failure your kids yeah. are necessarily going to come out bad like wh- whatever no no li- live faithfully into the situation that you're in right now yeah here's what i'd say about that so first 100% on with what you're saying about we can't change the past so be faithful to god for the future right yeah whatever it is, do the best you can to honor God in the future, regardless of what's happened in the past. Um, The second thing I'll say is this, you know, we're often, we shy away sometimes for talking about difficult difficult things because of the fear of offending somebody who may find themselves in a place where they realize um, either I messed up or there was wrong done to me and I couldn't help what's now there. Yes, I get that. Um, When we have these conversations, we're aiming these conversations primarily at those who are finding themselves in the place where maybe they may be considering going to that place yes. of becoming a single yes. parent or whatever else yeah. and wanting to prevent more of those. So if we don't have the conversation, it's the same thing with you know, a, another very sensitive conversation about abortion. Yeah. We don't wanna ever demonize anyone who's had an abortion. Mm-hmm. But if we don't talk about abortion, then what's really taking place in abortion, we may not prevent future abortions. Yeah. Yeah. So things that have happened in the past, man, God has mercy and grace for that. Yeah. Yeah. And for my brokenness, thank yeah. God, he has mercy and grace for that. Yeah. So we cannot change what happens That's in good. the past. So we, we yeah. do the best we can to honor yeah. God in the future, but we can't shy away from the, these conversations because other people's futures are at stake right now in this very moment. Mm. And so we have to mm. have these conversations even when they're difficult and sensitive. That's good. Awesome. Thank you for that. Man. That is a lot. I am sure <laughs> we could continue to unpack more on yeah. each of these points. And we will. we got a couple we more go. weeks as we're going to continue mm-hmm. moving forward. But it's probably stirred up some questions for you. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you might be wondering, what do I do with all this? Because it is a confusing, messy yeah. world of questions. And yeah. a lot of this, like, like you say, our, our posture is we're yeah. addressing where this begin. Like we, we right. are addressing basic foundation, basic foundation of what sexuality should look like yeah. in scripture of yeah. where, how God created this, how this began. And there's a million cultural questions that could stem out of this, right? That you may have a ton of different specific questions of what does this look like in this situation? Or mm-hmm. we haven't directly addressed a lot of questions that you may have. Um, but I guess, or I wonder is how do we, how do we land this for today? Of how can we be faithful in Jesus? Um, in light of this, it's probably still a million more questions. Yeah. But how do we be faithful right now? Yeah, so I've, I've got two things. Uh, the first is this, um, you know, after preaching this message, this first message, um, I had a number of people who said, you know, thank you for having this conversation, even some younger people, mm-hmm. with the admission that they have been very influenced by the conversation of the culture around, mm-hmm. very much mm-hmm. so. Um, which is calling us to, you know, affirm and celebrate, sometimes even participate, you know, in the movement of the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, that's a very real struggle as we engage. How do we engage well? Does it mean if we, if we love people who, who are currently embracing a very different sexual ethic than the one that we're advocating for, does loving somebody and does that the fact that God loves them means that we just give thumbs up to everything that that's happening or does it mean that love looks differently from what we're being told love looks like in relation to that community right um, you know love is love is the big message mm-hmm. I've heard from some people that have started to really wrestle with themselves and started to move to that place where they were accepting love is love. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to, no, God has a biblical ideal and there is a, there is a very obvious intent from creation on for the way that sex and sexuality and gender are expressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so these four points, you may need to specifically wrestle with these to ask yourself, am I embracing a biblical worldview as it relates to sex, sexuality, and gender? Or have I been influenced by the culture around me yeah. to, to start to shift my internal thinking about yeah. that? So it's <clears throat> not saying that there aren't very difficult issues surrounding this. You know, <clears throat> um, you know, one person expressing to me, it's been very difficult for me because I am very close to someone who's going through some of this. Yeah. And in that relationship, I still see them as a good person and I still, okay, let's... Let's acknowledge that we can see people as good people in one way while still acknowledging the reality of brokenness that exists in this world. Um, You know, the Bible does say there's no one good, no, not one. We're going to reframe that and say, you know, brokenness, acknowledging brokenness, because I think the context of the conversation about goodness has shifted in our world to where when we say nobody's good, it's not what people in the world are saying when they say this is a good person. Okay, so there's a different thing, different thing at play there. So acknowledging the difficulty, can we still come to the place where we, where we embrace a biblical worldview um, regarding sex, sexuality, and gender? Okay, so that's the first thing. So, so this is a, a soul-searching kind of thing. <clears throat> and then for others, um, check out our list of resources and see if there's one yeah. of those books that doesn't grab your attention so that you can pursue this conversation further on your own time. 
because there are plenty of great resources, whether it be male and female that was just published um, by Renew. Um, as I've started digging into this, man, I'm already just, it's, it's connecting with me at a very deep and real level. So much in this, I'm yeah. needing to hear again. Um, Preston Sprinkle resources that, that are great. There are others that we will link that are great, yep. whether it be yep. uh, uh, Jackie Hill Perry stuff, mm -hmm. whether it be Rosario Butterfield stuff. So many great you know, Christ-centered resources that are helping to provide a healthy and whole perspective uh, and some, some gr really good answers to very difficult questions. And so that would be my challenge for how can we practice this to be faithful? Let's be pouring into ourselves some of those from some of those good resources because yeah. you're being poured into from other sources. Other sources are pouring into you continually. So replace some of that or at least combat some of that with thinking from people who are saying, let's let's honor the communication of God, let's honor yeah. the intent of God and let's embrace a, a, a biblical worldview in this. Mm. So awesome. that was my challenge. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, man, I hope you'll take those steps to heart mm. and live into that this week. Yeah, very much. And uh, we hope you will join us again next week. Next week, podcast will be a little different. We'll feature um, a conversation that we're going to have right. with Corey Carlisle in that podcast. Paul and I will kind of um, come on and we'll do some intro outro around that uh, conversation as well. But we hope you'll join us for that. Mm -hmm. And until then, we'll, uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you.